0: Welcome to the Deceptively Fast podcast. This is week 15 in the NFL. I can't believe we've gotten to this point already. It's been a hell of a season, hell of a season in the NFL. The ratings are up. Everything is glorious and good. Really enjoying doing the podcast and uh, I'm glad that I was encouraged to do it and stuck with it, and especially for all of you, I am very, very, very grateful this holiday season that you tune in and listen every episode, every week. and If if not every episode, I'm not hating you for it. Uh, Just thanks for tuning in whenever you do. Please subscribe on iTunes or on Radio.com or elsewhere. Please leave a review. That is really... I, I honestly... If you want to make one person happy this holiday season, look, maybe you're not going to mend fences with your dad or make all the other things in your life right. Every time I see a positive review, I get really, really, really happy. Um, Should I be looking for validation from people that I don't actually know? Who's to say? Who's to say? But it makes me happy. You can help make me happy. When then I make my family happy, I spread a little bit more joy in the holiday season. So today we have Sean Pendergast with all of his picks he got me excited for this week in the NFL and then we've got Michael Lombardi I apologize to everybody who's not from Houston or a Houston fan we got a little Houston heavy this this episode so Sean Pendergast first then at about the 32 33 34 minute mark let's say 34 I'll plan on putting it right at the 34 minute mark Michael Lombardi starts deceptively fast podcast episode 45 And before we get into it with Sean Pendergast, I definitely want to let you guys know that I care about you, as we discussed before. And because I care about you, I really want to be sure that nobody's driving drunk this holiday season. And it's not just driving drunk, it's driving high as well. And with things becoming more legal in more states over these last few years, which has been met with various levels of exaltation or concern. Uh, There is this, that a lot of people don't quite realize that there are still a lot of dangerous things about driving well-impaired, whether it's from drugs or alcohol. And a lot of people need to be reminded about just how dangerous it is to drive drunk. Almost 29 people in the U.S. die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's, That's one person every 50 minutes and drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades. They've made a whole bunch of progress, but drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year. What many people are unaware of is that driving while high can be just as dangerous. In 2015, 42% of drivers killed in crashes tested positive for drugs. So it's, it's not as harmless as maybe you might think or haven't thought about at all. From 2017 to 2015, marijuana use among drivers killed in crashes doubled and the truth is that driving while high is deadly, so stop kidding yourself. If you're impaired from alcohol or drugs, don't get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI, drive sober, or get pulled over. I care about you guys. Take care of yourselves this holiday season. I care about Sean Pendergast, too, and I care about his picks every week because he brings me wisdom. Deceptively Fast Podcast Episode forty-five. I've been really bad at actually getting the numbers right on this, so I'm just going to throw You're forty-five. Forty-five out there. episodes in. Or- forty-five episodes deep. I'm not sure I'm getting any better or making any progress, but uh, I've learned how to set up my sound equipment, and that's that's a win in my that's book. That's not bad. That's a, that's a win in my book. Sean Pendergast. Uh, today we talk on a Thursday, with Thursday night football being a big one ahead of us. I think we might. We might dive right into this, except I can't. I can't dive into this. I've been fighting this all week long, Sean. I'm not talking about it like every single segment on my show. Steph Curry claiming that we never landed on the moon. And then, and then doubling down, did not doubling down, the exact, walking it back by claiming he was just joking and that he was silently protesting all the uproar over it by not, commenting on it. So like that not commenting on it was a silent protest, but now he's coming out and saying it was all just a big joke. I like, am I wrong? Or have I missed like the Steph Curry? That's jokey. Steph Curry, uh, throwing stuff out there just to get a social reaction. I don't believe him for one second that he was, that he was joking about believing that we never landed on the moon. It's all so
1: weird, man. Like the whole Kyrie Irving thing with the earth being flat and him sticking to that. And then this Steph Curry thing, not going to the moon. I'd be pissed if I was any of the guys who actually went to the moon. Like, I would take that so personally. I'd, like- <laughs> I'd be
0: really pissed if I died trying to go to the moon. Right. Like, of the astronauts who have died in missions or or what have you, or their families, that you've got some guy claiming to have done research. And this is what this is what drives me nuts more than anything. Is The same thing happened with Kyrie when he claimed the flat Earth. Uh, Geno Smith, same damn thing. They invoke the research they've done. I'm doing the air quotes with my hands. They, they'll say, they'll claim they've researched And then they'll ask the dumbest questions I've ever heard that you could easily answer in, like, a one-second Google search. Like, well, how come if we went to the moon 50 years ago, we haven't made any progress since then? Haven't made any progress. We're on fucking Mars. Like, what do do you not understand the difference between going to the moon and then going to Mars multiple times? They don't. I don't. I guess not. Like, at some little point in your research, did you not uncover the fact that we went to Mars, and you're asking what progress have we made since we went to the moon?
1: Yeah. I'm wondering too, like like a guy like Curry, so, like, he's pretty brand conscious. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, Kyrie Irving's always been kind of a brooding, sort of weird dude. Like, Kyrie Irving's always been strange. Like, Steph's got these, you know, he's got his old man Under Armour shoes that mm-hmm. he sells, and he's got, you know, he's got all the kids and stuff like that. Like, the people that take umbrage with this stuff that these guys are saying are teachers, man. They hate that these guys are out here espousing this stuff like the earth being flat and us not going to the moon like hey these kids look up to you man yeah and, now- and
0: you've got some you've got some high school teacher That's like, oh, okay, let's set aside the periodic table for a few days so I can explain to you, re-explain to you that the earth is round and that why your theories, at least, about why we didn't land on the moon are bunk. I try to do the intellectually honest thing when people come up with stuff like this, and I'll at least, like, I'll try to hear them out and see if maybe there's some angle I'm missing, mostly to try to explain to them. And it always is... That's the most frustrating thing to me is that it's this asinine stuff that's so easily debunked. Yeah. If you had a legitimate conspiracy theory that required some thought to strike down, I would give you one. But it's usually based on some it's usually based on some fake fact that never actually happened. Um and that they'll and then they'll build their entire argument around that. They
1: should be forced they should be forced to have a public debate either on pay-per-view or on a, uh, you know, highly rated television program. They've, they should be forced to debate it publicly with people who are knowledgeable on the other side of the argument. That's yeah. what they should be forced to do. They should be forced to be embarrassed publicly.
0: <laughs> probably- well, it, except Steph had pulled the old, like, I'm just, it, it's all it's all a big joke. He's Andy Kaufman all of a sudden, that this is just some uh, experimental, <laughs> practical joke on the American yeah, and public. Andy
1: Kaufman, and I believe his movie was named Man on the Moon. It was there? No, that's right. Yeah. That's right.
0: That's a good, uh, that's a good well, time. Biographical. There. So, so, uh, the opposite of conspiracy theory Taxi,
1: contra- very underrated show
0: Oh, yeah, that's right, Andy Kaufman was Latka He was Latka Gravis, yeah Taxi you don't see in reruns much, do you? Mm-mm. I haven't seen it anywhere No. I wonder why, I thought that would have staying power
1: Taxi underrated, Wings
0: underrated uh, yeah. show And I don't see Wings anymore either no. I feel bad for some of those actors on those shows That could be getting the big, big royalties If they if they kept playing Yeah, Seinfeld
1: kind of cracked the code on that too Did
0: you, were you kind of raised on Black and white reruns of of say Hogan's heroes a little bit
1: a little bit a little I love Lucy mixed in there yeah um I was more like all in the family mm-hmm. happy days but those
0: were those were on when we were kids right that's like we what I'm watched saying. reruns but we were all see like when I'd get home from school to my grandma's house oh, I used to watch a lot of like oh, she had a little 13 inch black and white tv Brady Bunch and it would be oh Brady Bunch right Brady Bunch for sure Brady Bunch because the
1: like syndicated, uh-huh. yeah,
0: and like uh, Hogan's Heroes, yeah, all the syndicated stuff that was on in the afternoon, yeah, uh, the Lucille Ball, all that stuff. Yeah, which syndic- wasn't like looking back on it, I can remember thinking, like, uh, this is all right, but if there were a better alternative, I'd actually prefer something else.
1: Yeah, they those those comedies weren't as saucy as they got. Like in the late seventies, like they like all in the family was pretty edgy, you know, with some of the language and the storylines. Three's Company was super edgy, mm-hmm. man. You could cut the sexual tension between Jack Tripper, Chrissy Snow, and Janet Wood with a knife.
0: They would make uh, a lot of innuendo jokes, too, that you thought, well, wow, how'd they get away with that in the 60s and 70s? People weren't as prude as we like to think they were back then. No,
1: they were. Are you kidding me?
0: Yeah. They were
1: swinging back then.
0: But then I move away from watching network television so much that sometimes when I come back to it, I realize, like, oh, okay, they still get away with edgy stuff. On primetime, too. Yeah. Like, when you watch Big Bang Theory and everything, yeah, there's a whole yeah. lot of sex in that. Yeah,
2: but
1: that was the only place we could go to for stuff like that back in the day, like sitcoms and things like that. Like, HBO and Showtime was just, they were just basically just rerunning movies. Right. There was no original content. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, big Anyways. big week
0: in NFL, obviously. You didn't do any college last week. You didn't did pick not. the Army-Navy game. Um, you did, did you do I did one bet college the, game I, I did
1: I did bet the Army-Navy game. Oh, I did didn't you? put it in my best bets, but I did bet it. I got Navy at plus seven and a half, so I would like to thank them for kicking that field goal in the final minute to lose by seven.
0: I don't want to get it political here, but yeah. uh, I oppose Donald Trump's coin toss and whatever the hell that was. <laughs> I, the the sideways <laughs> like I didn't uh, see it. I heard striking you guys emphatic talking about pose. It. He kinda held his hands sideways and, and held the pose after it. Uh, as you know, he's just, the just Donald. Doing what he does. he's just he's, he's the just Donald. figuring out a way to get some attention. Um You've got Chiefs minus three I and a do. half. This is the game tonight. Chiefs over the Chargers. Uh, this is in Kansas City. The big question marks here would be that Melvin Gordon is banged up for the Chargers. Spencer Ware, who's filling in for Kareem Hunt, might not play tonight. So that uh, that I, I, how does that factor in for you? Is that kind of a wash with both running backs banged up?
1: Yeah. Well, I've got the Chiefs minus three and a half, and so I what that says to me is the, if the Chiefs are minus three and a half, they have one of the best home fields in all of football. Most most of the time, home field's worth three. Like a, a good home field is worth three. A really good one is worth three and a half. Like Seattle's is probably four. Maybe New Orleans when, this, when they're playing in primetime is worth four. Chiefs are probably a three and a half, four. So that what that's saying is on a neutral field, these teams would be would be even. And I don't know, I don't know that I totally agree with that. I some of it is some of it is the spot for me. A little bit of the same reasons I pick against Kirk Cousins anytime he plays in games like. You know, primetime games or big spots. Phillip Rivers has not been a great quarterback in really big spots no. like this. No, and not
0: in Kansas City throughout no. his career. He hasn't been great there.
1: Yeah, the Chargers are 3-7 and seven in their last 10 primetime games. Um, Phillip Rivers is 2-12 and 12 in his last 12 road games in the division. So, Phillip Rivers gets a lot of love. He's getting a lot of MVP love this year. He's putting up all kinds of great stats. But this is not a great spot for him. It's going to be cold. Crowd's going to be sauced up and into it for yeah. a night game. So I, I just feel like I, I just feel like it's uh, the Chiefs might be the might be the better team. But even if they're even, I just like this this situationally. I like the reason. Yeah, the running back thing is probably a wash. And I think if too, anything, I think the Chargers are more dependent on Melvin Gordon than I think the Chiefs are on Kareem Hunt. If that makes sense. No,
0: I think that makes perfect sense. And I also wonder too. With Andy Reid versus the combo of Ken Wisenhunt and Anthony Lynn uh, in a divisional matchup at home. I like Andy Reid a lot better. We can say what you want yeah. about Andy Reid teams fizzling down the stretch or in the playoffs. Uh, I, I very much like that matchup. If Anthony the- Lynn, by the way, was only ever – he was only an offensive coordinator – the year he was an interim head coach in Buffalo. That's it, huh? Yeah, like he's kind of like Mike Vrabel, I guess he's more of a leader of men than an offensive or defensive mind.
1: Okay, and we can cross John DiFilippo off the list of political candidates who can no longer be a head coach, not anytime soon. Yeah. I heard Lombardi saying that on your guys' show a couple weeks ago, which I thought was brilliant, that these head coaching candidates, it's more about the buzz about them than what we think they're going to be as a head coach. And I'm watching John DiFilippo Filippo coordinate this abortion of an offense for the Vikings <laughs> the last couple weeks. And I'm going, This guy's name's on everybody's list. And every time I read these lists, nobody brings up a great reason why he's on the list. You know
0: than- who survived that better than anybody I've seen is Mike Vrabel. Yes. Mike Vrabel had the worst scoring defense in the NFL the one year he was a coordinator. But he was
1: what you guys he was the, the coach you all were talking about when, when Lombardi brought up that dynamic. Right, right. And I mean, Vance the- Joseph is a lot like that, where Vance Joseph was always on these hot lists, mm-hmm. you know, when he was a position coach he was the hot defensive coordinator candidate when he became a dc he was a hot head coaching candidate and then he gets to be a head coach and then they can't wait to fire him after a year
0: tomlin had tomlin was a coordinator for a spell but not for long and i guess he kind of had been identified as having that it Head coaching quality. I'll go to that game next, the Vikings okay. game, since you were talking about DiFilippo yeah, yeah. and his departure. You've got the Vikings minus eight and a half over the Dolphins. This is what I'd be nervous about if I were a Vikings fan or okay. somebody gambling with a eight and a half point spread. <laughs> is that Mike Zimmer gets rid of <laughs> Joe DiFilippo, partly because like Zimmer's an old school guy that wants to be able to run the football and then base a lot of the passing game off of the run the way they did last year, when they were a better offensive right. team with Case Keenum than with high price signee Kurt Cousins. I worry that Kevin Stefanski, the new offensive coordinator, knowing what he needs to do to please his boss, is going to go out there and run the ball 40 times come hell or high water. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that the Vikings are actually constructed to to operate that way. I yeah. don't know if their offensive line is good enough to do Boy, that. Boy, that's
1: a really good point, too. And, then, and here's the other thing. Like, if they run it successfully – that kind of shortens the game, which with an eight and a half point spread, you you need two scores to cover that, and it kind of you know it shrinks the game down. Both teams aren't going to be running as many plays. That's a really good point. Um, it's more about the Dolphins than it is the Vikings to me here. You know, it's a Sunday afternoon game, so I don't have to worry about Kirk. Kirk Cousins will throw for 350 yards if they let him. Um, but the Dolphins, I think, coming off of that Patriot win and the way they you know the the way they won that game, um, and then you go back out on the road in a in a non-division kind of thing. I it just it feels like a letdown spot for the Dolphins after the way they beat the Patriots last week and the other three teams to beat the Patriots this year are 0 and 3 the following week 1 and 2 against the spread. Um so I it's just to me it's more the Dolphins coming off of last week and now having to go on the road. The Vikings the Vikings have to feel a little bit like they're playing with house money because they haven't played well lately. Mm-hmm. They got destroyed on Monday Night Football this week. And yet, even at 6-6-1, six, six and one, they're in the driver's seat for, right. the, for the last playoff spot. Like, they, they still, even as bad as they've played, they control their own destiny to get to the postseason. And my guess is that's a 6-seed. I know, I know what I just said about Kirk Cousins, but he does have a lot of weapons. They do have a lot of players on that team. That feels like... If they can straighten things out down the stretch here, that's a six seed that a three seed probably – like the three seed's probably going to be the Bears. It's either going to be the Bears or the Cowboys.
0: And I I think, too, you know, Zimmer said something to the effect that Kirk Cousins might feel more comfortable making suggestions to Stefanski than he did to Joe DiFilippo. So I, I don't know what that means Exactly. I do know that – That feels like a management issue. He, well, and with Zimmer getting rid of DiFilippo, it feels a little bit like a vote of confidence in your players, if yeah. anything. It's saying, hey, I think you guys are capable of more than what you're doing right now, and I think we can run the ball. And maybe that gives you – almost like in the way that an interim head coach gives you a jolt, maybe this gives you a little bit of a jolt. And that when you make a bold move like that – that is really voting on your ability to run the ball and be a more complete football team than the previous coordinator thought you could be, that maybe they get that jolt out of that. Yeah,
1: I did feel there. Man, there were some times in that game on Monday night, I'm going, what are they
0: doing? Mm-hmm.
1: Offensively, third and one, third and two, and they're they're dropping Kirk Cousins back. They're, they're allowing pressure. He's rolling out. If I were a Viking fan watching my quarterback get flushed out of the pocket twice on third and short, Get flushed out of the pocket twice and just throw the ball away. I would be ready to – I'd be ready to jab a spike in my face.
0: Well, and there's something to be said. Whether you're running the ball effectively or not, just showing that you have a genuine commitment to the run, defenses still have to account for it. Yeah. Like they still – like nobody's going to sit there and let you run for five yards a carry. They still have to account for it. And when you have Thielen and Diggs, it's not always as simple as like, hey, Kurt Cousins, I guess he's a pretty good game manager. Let's just fling it up to those guys. It's not that simple. So if you at least are committed – to the run, you do open things up. You don't always have to run the ball effectively to open things up with the run.
1: Yeah, that's the big myth about play action. Like people think you need to be averaging six yards a carry to run play action. It's like no, you just need to show that you're going to run the football. Right. You need to action. show
0: that the guy, because no linebacker and no safety likes screwing up versus the right. run. Right. You might know, like it's hard. You're not sitting back there like, well, listen, uh, I'm not, I'm not concerned about the run whatsoever here. A lot of coaches will do this where they'll give you tendency charts sometimes. And they'll be like, hey, they're uh, – and as a nose tackle especially where you're really concerned with a run, it used to drive me crazy when they're like, well, this team is 60% pass in this situation. I'm like, well, that's, that's one more time out of 10 than 50-50. Right, like, right. I'm not going to sit there and sell out <laughs> rushing the passer just based on 60%.
1: Let me ask you something real quick about – I put this up during the Vikings game on Monday, and I'm curious your take on it because I think – if the Vikings could do it over again, I don't know if they'd keep Case Keenum, but I do think they would rethink giving Kirk Cousins three years, $90 million guaranteed or whatever it is. I, yeah, I think so. So so I threw this out there because I think the Broncos are probably feeling a little disenchanted with their much smaller investment in Case Keenum too. If you got Elway and whoever the GM is for the, the Vikings on the phone, and you said, look, at the end of this year you guys swap quarterbacks. Cousins has – Two years at like $28 million a year guaranteed left on his deal. The dead money for either team in a trade is minimal because both these guys are really just guaranteed salary. And Case only has $7 million guaranteed left for next year. So you're basically getting Case Keenum at one year. I think his overall salary is probably $18 again, but only seven of it's guaranteed. You get Cousins for two years, $56 million, Which GM says no? Cousins for Keenum. With those contractual situations, I
0: think Zimmer. This is the this is the interesting part. Because it's, it's
1: not a long-term commitment to Keenum, right. but you get him back for a year, and then you can try to figure it out again.
0: Zimmer couldn't wait to get Keenum out of there. Like right. Z- Zimmer never even said much positive about Keenum while he was winning games. And
1: Shermer's not there anymore either. Right. Yeah. So
0: I wonder about that. You're right. And Shermer not being there, I think Shermer's kind of been lost in the shuffle in all of this because of the Giants issues and he's not getting any but Saquon Barkley's getting way more credit than than Shermer at this point for the Giants turning it around minor in a minor fashion. Mm-hmm. Um I think that John Elway, I'm more basing on this on psychology than anything at this point. I feel like John Elway would have more confidence in his ability to put people around Kirk Cousins yes. and actually start churning out steady offensive performances. I think I think Zimmer says no, Zimmer but, says but no. Elway says yes. Yeah, interesting. Because
1: yeah. So, I feel like if you put that poll up on like the Star Tribune up in Minneapolis and ask Viking fans what they thought about it right now, like 78% of them would want Case Keenum
0: back. I, want, I think they want last year's defense back too, though. Probably. And that makes a difference. Yep, the Bills minus one and a half over the Lions. I like this game only because – I want to see the narrative of, like, you you draft Josh Allen because he's a cold-weather quarterback. Uh, I'd like the Bills to have at least a little bit of success in, in having that come true. Because yeah. it's going to be – and this is, this is the worst possible conditions for passing the ball, as I've noticed, in terms of producing a sloppy football game, freezing rain. It's going to be raining and icy and, like, a high of 34 or something on Sunday, which does not do – wonders for somebody like Matt Stafford. For somebody like Josh Allen, oh. who runs the ball as much as any quarterbacks <laughs> ever be- run the they ball. They
1: pounded between the tackles. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he's
0: like, he's an old school John Riggins quarterback. <laughs> he, <is>. he just, <laughs> you know, yeah, it, like it suits him perfectly well. Yeah. The Bills fans are like as crazy as they've ever been and kind of weirdly into them somehow. So they'll have that home field advantage. They're going to be in the snow playing a dome team. I feel like one and a half points is plenty for the Bills to cover and, on this. And the
1: Bills These teams with these young quarterbacks, you know, it's a a little bit the reason why I'm kind of nervous about the the Texans and the Jets this weekend, although that's a dead coach walking situation, which Buffalo is not. I think McDermott's a really good coach in Buffalo, that he got that team last year to the playoffs, and that he might get six wins out of this team this year in Buffalo, who's generally thought by the oddsmakers, along with Arizona, to be, and now Washington with Sanchez at quarterback, to be the worst rosters in the league. Um, although Buffalo's got a pretty good defense McDermott's a good coach Bulls is kind of a dead coach walking but back to this game the the bills are playing kind of frisky right now you know they're a, they're a competitive team I think these teams with young quarterbacks don't treat weeks 15 sixteen and seventeen when they're out of it mathematically the same way that say the Lions right or the Falcons um who are four and nine now maybe the Jags who already had a taste of what you know what uh playoff success felt like last year now they're Four nine or whatever they are. Um, so- it feels
0: like the mojo around the Bills, and this is a depressing conversation to have. Is like the mojo of the Bills versus the mojo of the Lions. Yeah, there's so much negativity swirling around a first year coach. In Detroit, where uh, people like that you've got reports of the players not being very cool with Patricia, making them practice outside. It feels like the media is actually more angry about that than the players themselves. (laughs) I know. Like I don't like they they just don't like standing outside.
1: They don't like the logic of it, I think. Like, why are you doing this? You're (laughs) a dome team. This is
0: dumb. They're really upset about this, more so than the players. Um
1: I'm amused by it. I'm not mad at it.
0: But yeah, I think the Josh Allen, whether whatever it is, whether people are genuinely excited about him, but it is like, look, it's fun to watch a big freak like that that can launch the ball downfield every now and then, but also churn out yardage on the ground. It's fun to watch. And
1: you tell me, like this, the Bills in week 15, even when they're mathematically out of it, still feels like a stadium when there's where there's going to be kind of a home field advantage. Yeah. Weather, obviously, but, but I feel like the Bills fans... Are skew closer to unconditional love than they do. Well, we'll we'll see you. But we'll be back when you're winning again.
0: It's a lesser version of what's going on with the Browns right now. Yeah, yeah. Where the Browns have a mathematical playoff chance, but really people are just excited that there's something going on. Yeah, and they're excited about Baker Young Mayfield yeah. and like I don't know how I don't know how excited Bills fans are about Josh Allen, but at least it's something.
1: Lions are um, one in eight against the spread since 2011, playing outdoors in December. So there's your statistical backup for the, the pick of this game.
0: It's like that stat about Matt Stafford, how he is versus winning teams. It's one of those stats that sounds kind of shocking, except it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And you're, well, you're like, like, all right. Think of uh, all the uh, Lion games you watched. Uh Vikings minus – oh, so we already did Vikings over Dolphins. Yeah, we did Dolphins. Vikings over we did, Dolphins. We did oh, Giants minus two and a half over the Titans. Yeah. I like this one, too.
1: Yeah, the Giants have – I know their record is not middle of the pack, but they've slowly become, perception-wise, kind of a, at least in this short window of recency, kind of a middle of the pack team. They're 16th in DVOA right now on Football Outsider, so they're, by all the advanced metrics and efficiencies, they're an average football team. And right now, at home against the Titans, I think all you need to be is an average football team, and I think I think you can beat the Titans this, this is the Titans side of this thing for me, Seth, and I feel like I made a best bet against the Titans in a similar situation just a couple of weeks ago. But if you look at the Titans' season so far, we are now at the third juncture this season where people are climbing back on the Titan bandwagon. When they went 3-1 and one to start the season and they beat the defending Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles, which is a win, by the way, that doesn't look nearly as good right now considering how the Eagles' season has gone. But the Titans were 3-1, tied with the Jags atop the division. How crazy does that sound now? And everybody was climbing on the bandwagon. And then what happened? They went and they lost two games in a row. They lost to the Bills uh, in Buffalo. And then they lost 21 nothing at home to the Baltimore Ravens. They lost uh, straight up and against the spread in those games. Um, and then they, they beat the Patriots in Week 10. They destroyed the Patriots, and everybody's back on the bandwagon again. They're 5-4. and four. They just destroyed the Patriots. What happens? They get blown out by the Colts. They get blown out by the Texans on Monday Night Football. Now here we are. The Titans blow out the Jags last week. Oh, look, the Titans are back. Derrick Henry ran for 234 yards.
0: Derrick Henry's got a history of – after a hundred plus yard r- rushing game, averaging one point eight yards per carry. I did not know that. This okay, is I feel exactly about my no, pick. it's a Derrick Henry is like the embodiment of the Tennessee Titans where you can look like a world beater and then the next week Paul Gallant and I have had the same conversation like all season long. You'll watch a game with Derrick Henry and you'll think like, Wow, you know what? It's really clicking for him. Like it looks like he's running with power. And then at the end of the game, he's got like 57 yards, yeah. you know, <laughs> like 2.8 yards per carry. That
1: happened in the first Texans game this year. Yes, They're yes. running Wildcat with him and yeah. stuff like that. You're like, oh, Henry looks swift. <laughs> and you look at the end of the box score, and it's like 16 carries for 52 yards.
0: Which I guess I want to blame on the team around him. And then also with Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota is the embodiment of how people try to f- – Try to analyze in quarterback a quarterback in such a way that like it's confirmation bias. If they like Marcus Mariota and they want him to be a good NFL quarterback, you can find plenty of instances of him going through his reads, of him for uh, like forcing tight window completions, doing all this really good stuff, using his legs to run. But then you look at the numbers and he doesn't produce. Yeah. And it's like it, it drives me crazy because in the NFL you can get away with it by being a highlight reel analyst and saying, "Wow, look at them! Look, he can do all this! Yeah. Look at that throw! Look at this read!" But you would never pull that off in baseball with, like, a 150 hitter. No, nope. You know, like, I could show you a highlight reel of a 150 hitter and be like, oh, wow, look at that, nice home run. Oh, look at that, you know, base hit. But he's only hitting 150. That's where I am with Marcus Mariota. Like, you have to show me the money at yeah, some point. Yeah,
1: because he, here's the thing. Like, a guy like Kirk Cousins is statistically still a pretty good quarterback, right? Like, he's he's going to throw for 4,000-something yards this year. I think he has 23 touchdowns and nine interceptions, which doesn't feel like the type of year he's having. But Marcus Mariota's numbers aren't even that good. Like, last year he had more interceptions than touchdowns. Right. So, I, yeah, I don't – he's,
0: Yeah, he's pulled himself out of it a little bit. You know, the other, the other aspect of this game, and I guess the Giants season overall, is you're starting to get to that point where you're trying to figure out, all right, well, what are we going to do with Eli next year? Yeah. Because – and especially if you're winning games and you're moving down the draft order, I think the important thing to remember is that next year's draft – In the top 10 so far, like as it stands right now, there really aren't a lot of teams that need quarterbacks. I mean, if you go the 49ers, they're set at quarterback. They'd be picking them. I'll go the draft order as it stands right now. cool. Cardinals. They're they're ape, just ape. fine. Yep. Raiders might get interesting. You know, like uh, I don't know what they're gonna do yeah. if they're gonna. But it looks like it looks like Carr and Gruden get along all right. Okay. Um, Falcons, I don't think they're ready to move on from Matty Ice just Not yet. Not with the
1: fourth overall pick.
0: No. Um, the Jets, they're fine at quarterback. Yep. The Buffalo Bills just yep. drafted a quarterback. Uh, you get down to the Jaguars, it's seven. Which obviously they might make a move, and then the Buccaneers at eight, and then
1: I think Jameis is going to hang for one more year. I there. think so, especially yeah. given
0: what he's done so far. And I know I think we, I think you pick the Bucks here, but the Giants are ninth right now, and they might only have one team above them that really wants a quarterback. So if they want to move up, um, or if they just wait and see what's available there, there's a chance they could do it.
1: Yeah, I. I- I've watched the quarterbacks that people are talking about this yeah. year collegiately, like yeah. I haven't watched them with a an n f l eye on any of them. My vibe on this quarterback class is it's not nearly as decorated or well thought of as last year's.
0: you know who's out there that would be really interesting that I think you could pull off without causing too much of a ruckus is Teddy Bridgewater, yeah. I think if they That's if they sign Teddy Bridgewater, and uh, I think he's got one year left on his contract with the Saints. I think he signed a two-year deal. Did the he? Saints traded for him. And I don't They think traded
1: for him with the Jets? I thought it was a one-year deal with was the Jets. Was it a one-year? I'm not, okay. I'm not totally sure. You, it may be a two-year deal. You might be I, right. No, I think
0: I saw him on a free agency list earlier. So okay. regardless, maybe they make a play for Teddy Bridgewater and say, hey, it's just we just need a veteran backup. Who, the Giants? But, yeah, the Giants. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's it's crazy to think that there's even a percentage chance that Eli could survive another year as the quarterback. I there.
0: know, I, except nuts. that Saquon Barkley has rescued him. Yeah, he's. Uh... <laughs>
1: and at the end of the day, it's going to wind up being the most backward thing ever. Like all they're going to do is just extend their seasons of seven and nine and eight and eight and six and ten. And
0: meanwhile, taking you took a running back with the first round pick second overall and pick. second overall pick and like all right all conventional wisdom says your best chance is to get extract as much value out of him as soon as possible right. maybe he ends up being curtis martin but chances are that he's not And that you're right. gonna get the very best out of him in these next five or six years and instead you're just nope let's get him beat the hell up over yeah. these first two or three years yeah,
1: no but and by the time you get a quarterback that you like he's gonna be in a walker yeah saquon barkley
0: so uh that that would be your last pick you've got the bucks plus nine and a half in baltimore
1: Yes, against the uh, against the, the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, um, this is a this is a weird spot for the Ravens because they, as we know, they gave the Chiefs a run for their money last weekend, took them to overtime, probably should have won that game if not for Mahomes making his MVP highlight real play of the year on that fourth and nine. And then next week, the Ravens play the Chargers, which, again, is a game that directly impacts the playoffs and so forth. These are – these are two big marquee opponents. Granted, not divisional opponents. They're both AFC West and the Ravens. But these are both huge games among AFC playoff teams with this weird game against the Bucks sandwiched in between. Yeah. So I, I feel like there's a few dynamics at work here that that are in play to take the Bucks in this game. One is that, the sandwich effect, where the Ravens, I think there's a chance they could be not only – coming down off of whatever emotional letdown there is from almost beating the chiefs but then looking ahead to the chargers i also think if lamar jackson is going to be their quarterback covering double digit spreads is is tricky when you have a quarterback who you're going to try to run the ball 15 or 20 times a game with the Ravens strategy against anybody is going to be to run the ball with Lamar Jackson. That's going to keep the clock moving and keep the clock running. So it's just harder to cover multiple score spreads, especially if they get behind in the game. Mm -hmm. If they get behind in the game, not only is it tough for them to come back, but once they do come back, the best they're going to do is win the game by one score, whether it's a field goal or a touchdown. So, um, so there there's that. And then I think back to Jameis, I think for Jameis, if we look at motivation of quarterbacks for teams that are mathematically eliminated, I don't know that there's a quarterback who's more motivated by non-playoff motivation than Jameis Winston, who's trying to cement his spot as the long-term quarterback in Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay, I think, I know the Ravens have a really good defense. I think they can score enough points to where a a 9.5-point spread becomes really tricky for the Ravens to cover. So I've got several reasons. Those are them.
0: I almost wonder if Jameis feels – or has read the writing on the wall and thinks, as long as I don't turn the ball over, I'll have a shot at this next year. Since and, and his, his four-interception game, he's only turned the ball over twice in the last four games. And I
1: guarantee you, if they don't turn the ball over in this game, they are for sure covering a nine-and-a-half-point
0: spread. This comes down to, does Jameis continue to do what he's done the last four weeks and be more careful with the balls, even though he's had a couple he's had a couple of very easy could-have-been interceptions? Yeah. Um, I tend to think more along the lines of, it's the Ravens. It's a close game. This is my chance to go Florida State and single-handedly win this game. It ends up being versus a really good defense, a three-interception game for God, James Winston. God, don't say that, <laughs> Seth. Don't say that. All right, this is exciting. I, I love talking to you on Thursdays because I get really excited good. for the weekend too. in football. So, awesome. We'll catch up with you next week, bud. Sounds good. You know, one thing I just realized uh, after I got off with Sean – Is that i promised you guys a health and fitness episode this week i feel deeply sorry for that um i'm I'm gonna be honest with you again and tell you this hasn't been the best week for me from a health standpoint this place this studio in which i work i get food brought to me every damn day and it's all so tempting. I had uh, Zadok Jewelers, who I work with. They they gave me a holiday gift of a big ass pecan pie uh, that that felt like it may as well have weighed, I'd guess conservatively, thirty seven pounds. And I ate all of that for breakfast yesterday. After like, and I swear to you, it was three minutes after I had said I am going to eat healthy today. It's awful. It's uh, I'm not trying to beat myself up too much over it. I feel like maybe doing a health and fitness episode would get me back on track. So for my own good, maybe we'll get that out pumped out here sometime soon. I'm going to stop promising you guys things. Cause I don't, I don't like letting you down. And, uh, like, cause I've said, I care about you. I don't want to let you down by not delivering it. You'll get it when you'll get it. It'll be brilliant. You'll love it. We've got Michael Lombardi on right now. Michael Lombardi is awesome as always. Oh, and when we start talking to Michael, We are talking about the song American Woman. We bumped in with American Woman on the radio show when we interviewed Michael. We don't have the rights to play American Woman on this podcast, so that's what we're talking about. We introduced him with the song American Woman. He might have taken a little umbrage with that. Uh, Trust me, we meant nothing about, we weren't calling Michael Lombardi a woman or any kind of old school, stupid, misogynistic insults like that joining us he's the author of gridiron genius longtime nfl personnel man uh and all around good dude and interesting interview michael lombardi michael how are you doing
2: I'm good. I, I, American woman is to lead in. That's an interesting choice right there. I, that- I, I like that. That was interesting. American woman. I mean, I don't know what you guys think of me with I, uh, that. It was
0: more of a, it was, I, I like to think of you like back maybe in the 60s or 70s living your living like you know, out on a, out on a Harley riding across no. America.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, mean, look, I admit I'm stuck in a music
0: era. I mean, I've listened to some Jason as bell,
2: so i have like kind of expanded my horizons a little bit, but I mean, American woman, I mean, all right, here we go. What was the the last concert you were at? Last concert I was at, let's see, I go see Billy Joel quite often, so I saw Joel at the Garden. I encourage anybody to go see Billy Joel. Really, my goal in life, I have two goals in life. I've achieved one. I wanted to sing Springsteen songs with other Italians. I saw them in Florence, Italy. It was the time of my life, Hmm. and it was unbelievable. My other goal in life is to go to Vienna and listen to Billy Joel sing Vienna Waits for Me in Vienna. I think that would be awesome.
0: So Billy Joel still uh, like he still brings it right. You go and you don't oh my feel God, like you're just yeah. watching an old guy. Like you feel like he's still delivering the goods. No,
2: no, he does. I mean, like it's unbelievable. It's like Springsteen on Broadway. I saw that too. I could see that every single night. That comes out December 16th on Netflix. But Billy's unbelievable. I saw him close Shea Stadium, and he had a host of people come with him, and. He's just, you know, I don't know why he stopped writing because he was a great writer. I loved him.
0: Michael, this last Colts game that the Texans played, I was excited for it because I thought the Colts presented some matchups that I wasn't quite sure about. And one of those was that the Colts have a good run defense. I wanted to see how good the Texans rushing offense actually was. And then the Colts obviously have speed in their receiving core. I wanted to see how the Texans secondary did. And I was, I was a little disappointed. Where does, where does that leave you with your assessment of the Texans right now?
2: Well, I think this. I think it's all matchups, right? So the Texans have to find a way to win with pressure. This they're back into their defense other than that, uh, other than Honey Badger really isn't gonna be able to do it. And I think that game proved that. It proved everybody's concerns are that if the Texans don't win with Watt, Marcellus, and, and Clowney, they're not going to be able to control a, pass, a good passing game. And I think that's what it proved. T.Y. Hilton was dynamic in game one, five catches for 115. He was dynamic squared in game two, almost 200 yards receiving. This is a tough matchup. I mean, this is the, the game that's going to worry the Texan fans is if they have to play a team like Kansas City. A passing game, can they match up? They've got to win with their pass rush.
1: So is it really Mike as simple as they need Watt and Clowney to play like Von Miller and Demarcus Ware did back in 2015 for Denver? Is it, is it that simple, basically?
2: Yeah, it's that simple. Now remember that 15 team they had lead they had Chris Harris. Yes, they were good in the secondary, so they could cover. Even though if you could block them, you still had a chance to get. You had to get open. I think they got to improve better. Look. One thing Rack does a good job of is once you get into third down, Romeo Crennel, the defense coordinator, is he presents a problem. He's very simple on first and second down. Plays a lot of quarter coverage, plays cover two. But once you get to third and longer, then he becomes a more exotic. And I think that's really, he's going to have to expand that a little bit more into second downs to create those long down distance. Can the Pittsburgh Steelers
1: beat the New England Patriots on Sunday? Because that is really the only way I think the Texans could get
2: a first round buy. I definitely think they can beat them. I mean, look, the Patriots don't match up to a passing game. When Ryan Tannehill's, what, 16 for 19 for 274? You know, even he was having a good game, take away the one play. The Patriots' defense is not fast. They're not explosive in the back end. They don't rush the passer very well. They can control the quarterback in the pocket. They can't really pressure the quarterback in the pocket. And so that becomes a problem. And if the Patriots' offense doesn't play well, And they did last week. They just turned the ball over on downs in the red zone. They gave up a situational field goal at the end of the first half. They didn't get a touchdown on the third down at the end of this game, which would have put the game completely away. You know, I think they've got to win it with their offense. Now, they'll move the ball on Pittsburgh. There's no doubt. They always do. They know how to attack Pittsburgh. The problem is, can they slow Pittsburgh down? Can they stop Antonio Brown? Can they stop Juju Schuster you know, what I think Belichick will do in this situation is he will say to the Steelers, I dare you to run the ball. I dare you to run the ball. you will play all nickel.
0: Michael, Michael, uh, Kiki QT obviously has been struggling with a hamstring injury, and I miss what he brings to that offense, but I'm also wondering if maybe I'm hanging too much hope on a still relatively unproven rookie, and is, it, is, is maybe his influence not as great as, as I'm making it out to be? No, especially in a a game
2: against like Indianapolis, which plays so much zone, and you need those intermediate guys to be able to win with quickness and, and get into dead spots in the zone. And the quarterback looks one way and throws the ball the other way. Kuti played really good in the first Indianapolis game, and missing him last week, that hurt them. That hurt them. It hurts their spacing. Remember, when you play a zone team like Indianapolis, it's all about spacing. It's all about creating space horizontally and vertically, but most importantly horizontally, and Kuti gives them that. And without him in there, you don't get that spacing. Everything gets to be packed in. It's very similar to a basketball game when you're playing against a zone team like the Indianapolis Colts. Now, when they get into the playoffs, I think he's going to be important, whether it's zone or man, because his quickness, especially on third down, we see it at the Dallas Cowboys, once Cooper came in, Beasley became a better player because he no longer saw all the double teams. His quickness was able to come back and play. I think that's what QT gives them. Mike, how how
1: would you feel as a Texans, if you were a Texans fan, about Deshaun Watson's overall progress and his season so far?
2: You know, I think Deshaun taking, keeps taking steps up. He makes some incredible throws. I think sometimes he's too loose with the ball in the pocket. He's got to protect it better. And I think teams are going to keep daring him to be a pocket quarterback and say, can you beat us from the pocket? I think, you know, what you have to factor in is, look, let's be real honest and blunt. The Texans offensive line, they've done a great job of kind of band-aiding that together. I don't think it's one of the best lines in football. I know it's not. And I think Watson's ability to move and manipulate the rush has been a critical component to their success. And I don't think you can minimize that. I think Watson will keep getting better. I think when the game becomes even more important, Watson will play great. How significant of a drop have the Chiefs made after losing, obviously, Kareem Hunt by getting rid of him? Well, I think, look, you know, Hunt had seven, seven touchdown passes. He averaged over 14 yards a catch. The passing game was a problem. They have to substitute inside-outside zone. When they want to run inside zone, it's Spencer Ware. When they want to run outside zone, it's Damian Williams. Now they don't have Spencer Ware for this game today. So they become a little bit more predictable. But the key factor here, Patrick Mahomes was sensational. He's been unbelievable. He makes plays out of the pocket. Last week, this is phenomenal. And, Seth, you can appreciate this. No one talks about it. The Chiefs threw the ball 53 times. In the game, Mahomes was running around like Fran talking to him back there, and they didn't get called for holding one time in the game. How is that possible? <laughs> it's impossible. How is that possible? It's impossible, right? Whenever a quarterback leaves the pocket, an offensive lineman instinct is to grab the defensive lineman and pull him closer to him because he can't keep his feet with him. And yet 53 times they threw the ball and not one holding call. Uh, it's remarkable. It's, it's not great coaching. It's blindness by the officials.
0: I've had to grudgingly <laughs> accept over time that some teams are better at holding than others and that uh, they get away. You know, remember the Broncos back when they were really churning oh, out the yards? They're just masterful holders. Like, they knew how to get it, away it, with it.
2: It used to drive Al Davis crazy because they would put their hands on top of your shoulders and steer you, and, and officials <laughs> wouldn't even notice it, and it would drive them crazy. And it's like, how do they get away with that? Why are they able to do that? And, I, you know, I didn't have an answer for it. He would have gone bonkers over the 53. If his team would have faced 53 passes – and then I had one holding call; he would have gone, but they're out to get me.
0: I feel like the two uh, big forgotten quarterbacks from this rookie class so far have been Josh Rosen for obvious reasons, but then Sam Darnold, just because he plays for the Jets, even though that's a high marquee, you know, team, um, but also because of the injury. Where are you with Sam Darnold right now in his rookie season?
2: I-, I think he's making some progress. He's got to protect the football much better. He's got to learn to take profits. He's got to learn to live for the next play. I think the offense of the Jets is not very good. Their receivers, their skill positions, the Jets have a quarterback. They don't have much after the quarterback. They need, other than Quincy Enwa, they don't really have very much skill there. They need more players on their offensive line, particularly. Kelvin Beecham's not a legitimate left tackle. Brandon Schell makes too many mistakes. The right guard, Brian Winters struggles they're not a great team offensively they need more weapons around sam i think he's getting better i think sam's going to be really good i worry about josh rosen i don't know how good josh rosen's going to be Hmm. the guy that i don't know about is josh allen josh allen and mitchell trubisky are similar in the sense that they're both athletes playing quarterback they're both inaccurate and yet which one's going to be able to develop into a great quarterback i don't know that answer yet
1: Bill O'Brien said this week that Jamal Adams is one of the five best defensive players the Texans have faced in his tenure in Houston, which I thought was a pretty specific compliment. Uh, what
2: do you think of Jamal Adams? I think he's really a good player. I think the rules really limit how great he could be. I wrote about it in my book, you know, the, that when you draft that guy a lot high in the first round, you know, you want him to be a, an enforcer back there. Ronnie Lott was... The way the rules are now, Ronnie Lott would have been the same impact that he had back then, and I think that's affects Jamal Adams. He's good on all three levels. That's what makes him a good player. He can rush the passer, great. He can attack the pocket because he can rush the passer. He can play on the second level and fit in the run game. And then he can play in the deep third of the field. So when you're good on all three levels, like Derwin James, like Jamal Adams, you're a really good player. And safety position in the NFL is important because you've got to find a way to control the middle of the field.
0: Michael, your son coaches for Baylor. Uh, they're going to be here for the Texas Bowl. Any chance we're going to see you in person for the Texas no. Bowl?
2: I would love to go to that game, but I can't, and I'm just hoping that my Baylor Bears can come through. The Baylor's an interesting team. I think Matt Rule's done a great job winning six games this year after winning just one the year before. The Baylor's got some skilled players, and Charlie Brewer is one of those quarterbacks that, you know, you work him out and you say, hey, maybe just not enough athleticism or enough talent. But, yet he does make a lot of plays. He's got a good enough arm. He's a very good athlete. He can run with the football. Baylor's got some great skill players. Jalen Hurd not playing in the game really affects him. Jalen Hurd's going to be a a high-top draft pick in the NFL draft this year.
0: Michael Lombardi, author of Great Iron Genius. You can find his work on The Athletic, The Ringer, and more. Thanks a lot, Michael. Thanks, guys. Oh, and you know what I always forget to do is to introduce the other two guys. My co hosts from the radio show, Mike Meltzer. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mike Meltzer. Paul Gallant, you can follow him on Twitter, at Gallant Says. Both very bright, interesting guys. And then, of course, Sean Pendergast on Twitter, at Sean T. Pendergast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Again, please subscribe on iTunes. Recommend it to a friend leave a review. I really appreciate all of those things. I'm very grateful for them. Everybody have a great day. And if I don't talk to you, you don't listen to tomorrow's podcast, have a great weekend as well.